Welcome to another quick cap of Complicated Women, a real-time discussion of what we're hearing, reading, and watching. Hi, Kate. Hi, Corinne. We're really, we, we can't get enough of Fleabag. We really can't, right? We can't, we can't leave her alone. And honestly, if you don't love Fleabag, what, yes. what's, what's, what's what are, wrong? What's wrong? What are you doing? Right. Listen, Re- reevaluate something. Come on. Yes. Exactly. Okay, so we already talked, we already did two entire episodes on Fleabag. We're not going to really address the specifics of the complicated women that are in those, uh, in that show. But there were two little bits that we really just couldn't let go of, right? And each one spoke to us kind of little monologues that she had written into the episodes that didn't fit into our bigger structure, but we we really wanted to come back to revisit. And one of them, Kate, was what spoke to you, right? Yes. Look, practically every line, I think you and I can agree, in Fleabag season two is a stroke of genius from yes. writer Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yes. And, but I was particularly bowled over by a speech on womanhood that was delivered by Kristen Scott Thomas as sort of just a cameo in episode three of season two. And it's, it's probably only three or four minutes long, but it is so chock full Mm -hmm. of amazingness that Mm -hmm. it warranted its own separate little chat. So In this cameo, Kristen Scott Thomas is a successful woman in business who Fleabag meets at an award ceremony and they they go for a drink and her character Belinda gives this really epic monologue on two aspects, I would say. Um, Women's awards and women's pain are really Mm. how I see them. Yes. So they just come from this women in business event where Belinda has won the award for best woman in business. And Fleabag, of course, is complimenting her on the award. And she just looks at her and says, like, it's infantilizing bullocks. It's ghettoizing. It's a subsection of success, she says. Then she calls it the fucking children's table. And and Fleabag is shocked. You know, she's like, yes. "Oh, wow, yeah. okay." Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, of course, it's she's referring to the fact that she's been named the best woman in business, mm-hmm. as opposed to just the best in business across any gender, all genders. Right. And I think it's just a sentiment that a lot of women can relate to. Yeah. You know, why should we be pinned into a corner, accepting our women's awards, watching our women's films and reading our women's books, which by the way, women's fiction are called, yeah, or called chick flicks or chick lit or women's fiction. And I think it's something that we're kind of scared to vocalize maybe, like Mm. lest we seem sort of ungrateful or worse, Mm. maybe minimize our chances of becoming one of the quote unquote best women in whatever it is. But Phoebe Waller-Bridge can and does say the things that, you know, some people shy away from, which I think is why we love her. Yes. And she she was asked about this, you know, she said she's asked about this all the time in interviews about what it's like to be a female writer or female producer and what inspires her to write about complex women. And she says, like, she really hates these kind of questions. A lot of, a lot of women say that but she but she says it's a way of containing us or controlling us in our work and she said it was it's like immediately being able to almost tie a bow around our collective work and go that's women's work mm-hmm. and but she says it's sort of a trap because at the same time she wants to talk about yes, these things yes. and she wants to share her experiences and she wants to articulate it well but then she just wonders like is she 
falling into the trap? Yeah. And is she relegating herself to the children's table? Yeah. It's, so. it's, it's a real struggle. It's a real thing she talks about. Because I do see both sides of it. I do think it's important to kind of call out and recognize that a lot of Hollywood, a lot of business, publishing, all of these industries have really been for a long time run by straight white men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it is important to call out when we have a woman who's thriving in in that area and a woman who is unapologetic about the story that she has to tell. I do want to get to the point when, I mean, we all know, you and I know this, and and this is part of what this podcast is for, is to talk about the fact that there is no capital W yeah. woman, right? Oh, there, yes. Women are as diverse as men are diverse, and there is no women's story, as just like there's no singular man's story. But it's been too long that, that that's all there was, was just one version of the woman's story, whereas men get to be complicated and we see the full range of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a man at different times in your life and at different, you know, different men, different personalities, different struggles, different traumas. And we don't have that for women. So I do feel like it's a real double-edged sword because I do want there to be some recognition of that. And I think you can't call it out without saying you know, congratulations for being a woman here. And I think that's important, but I do get, I do get the idea that you're, you know, putting, putting us at a separate table, which is not really what we want either. So. Yeah. And so her answer is always in these interviews, like I, I like look at my work, like look at that. Like I feel like that's the best way I can show you how I feel or show you these things rather than me explaining it like she tries to just put it into her work which yes you know she obviously does does. do completely and and that scene is a great example I mean and then the the second half of it which is really just so amazing um is when Kristen Scott Thomas explains to her a new theory she's just sort of come up with on women's pain and she says Women are born with pain built in. It's our physical destiny, period pain, sore boobs, childbirth, you know. We carry it within ourselves throughout our lives. Men don't. They have to seek it out. They invent all these gods and demons and things just so they can feel guilty about things, which is something we do very well on our own. (laughs) And then they create wars so they can feel things and touch each other. And when there aren't any wars, they can play rugby. And she says, we have it all going on in here, inside. We have pain on a cycle for years and years and years. And then just when you feel you're making peace with it all, what happens? The menopause comes. The fucking menopause comes. And it's the most wonderful fucking thing in the world. (laughs) And yes, your entire pelvic floor crumbles and you get fucking hot and no one cares. But then you're free. No longer a slave. No longer a machine with parts. You're just a person. Mm -hmm. And the response to this monologue when that episode aired was really profound. I mean, because it's so eloquently put into words something that's really rarely discussed let alone on you know a tv show Mm -hmm. and it's also just something so true and relatable for women and I think women watching just felt like you know we'd been seen and and seen and also just I'm not sure I could have 
ever articulated that no. so beautifully. But again, no. that's Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yeah. Uh, but this, to me, that scene is why shows written by women are so important. And I mm. know I'm preaching to the choir here. Yes, yeah. But because when our stories, like even these ones we're afraid to admit to ourselves or to say out loud or that we think are weird when they're broadcast to millions of people we're encouraged to just sort of take ownership of our female experiences yes. right and to share them and to keep sharing them and that's why when we talk in a lot of these episodes about why it matters that you know women have either a hand in it in the in the creation and yes, the writing exactly. or why that's so important because a man could never have written that he no, just couldn't have no and that's okay but yes. he you know that he can't articulate that experience right because he's never had those experiences so forget about I mean I can't articulate them but I've had them and so when she speaks that way it rings in something so deeply true to me or deeply something in me um Mm -hmm. so I might not have articulated but I've experienced it and so that's when you know the truth really comes out Mm -hmm. and yeah you're right no man can can do that can have that perspective which is why we need so many different perspectives right that's why everybody needs it and not just male female just just why you need just the a breadth of experiences and a wide range of different types of people creating these things yeah you know I'm not really sure how I feel about some of the things that she said I don't know I'm not at menopause or near it so I don't know if I'll feel that way afterwards it's a lovely aspirational way to think I I would love to now approach it with that in mind with that idea that maybe the transition's hard but then you're free and you're no longer that last line you're no longer a machine with you're just a machine with parts so yeah I mean a person yes so I love that idea. I don't know. And it's not really what I hear of I know <laughs> of menopause, but I like it. I, I you know, sometimes the narrative is just as important as the experience. And if you can, you know, to go back to Nora Ephron, right? And to tell the story the way you want to tell the story. And if the story mm-hmm. is I am now free, it's a much better way to look at it than exactly. I am now no longer a a woman no longer a sexual being all of those things that I normally hear about it so yeah yeah I don't even know if I agree with it and I still love tearing it so and speaking of things a man could never write as well because he does not understand the importance of hair yes this is our other favorite part (laughs) yes I was thinking about that though and I don't know if it doesn't matter to men but it does matter to men I think in different ways yeah different I agree yeah so or I think Men just kind of choose. So, so yes, Kate, you're bringing me right into the monologue that Phoebe Waller-Bridge as Fleabag delivers to Anthony Clare's hairdresser. And I think, I really do think men just have to decide once, right? They're like, this is the hairstyle for me. <laughs> and I'm, sh- and I know they think about it. They're like, this is, you know, I am a rebel. So it's a little longer or I am clean cut or I have a shaved head. Yeah. You know, they have to work with what they have, but also what they want to project. And I do think that men's hair does that. But yes. women have so many more choices and yeah. it's, it's, it is a, bigger I think identity 
Yeah, um, and it's in a mo- more emotional too, don't you think? It's yes. tied a little bit more to our emotions than than I think it is for men. That is a good point. Yeah, and Fleabag is very emotional as she delivers this after Claire has gotten <laughs> a, a bad haircut that she says she did not want and did not ask for. Fleabag takes it upon herself to go confront the hairdresser. His lines are some of my favorite, really. But he says, "Don't blame me for your." your bad choices hair isn't everything and then she goes on this rant hair is everything we wish it wasn't so so we could think about something else occasionally but it is it's the difference between a good day and a bad day we're meant to think it's a symbol of fertility and that it's a symbol of power some people are exploited for it and it pays your fucking bills hair (laughs) is everything. everything and then he says after she says hair is everything he says His parting words are, if you want to change your life, change your life. It's not going to happen here. Uh, And maybe putting that sort of emotional spin in perspective, right? Yeah. Yeah. So completely coincidentally, before we recorded this episode, I cut my hair. And I had been thinking about wanting to cut my hair for maybe like six months. And I think the last time I had gone to the hairdresser, I chickened out and I I was like, eh, maybe I want to cut it short. And she's like, no, let's just stick to what we do. So mm-hmm. nothing happened. And I was kind of disappointed with myself, but also trying to trust, trying to, again, flea bag, kneel, surrender. Maybe it was the right thing. Maybe I'm supposed to have long hair. Whatever it is, just go with it. And by the way, no man ever gave his hair that much thought. So right there. Mm, agreed. <laughs> agreed. No, I, I agree. And then... I made another appointment and I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm really ready this time. But I was feeling a little nervous and I wasn't sure. And I I just didn't know what it all meant. I was, I knew I was feeling something, knowing something, but I couldn't intellectualize it. I couldn't verbalize it. So instead, what I did was at my own house, before I went to my appointment, I took a pair of scissors to my hair and I cut off like seven inches in my bathroom. Oh my God. For, and, and- Yeah. And you did this on your Instagram story, I, and I was I, watching it somewhere having a heart attack for you. I was I, like, what is she doing? I cannot oh tell God. you. So many people have said oh, exactly that. I watched, and I was cow. having a heart attack, which is like, also funny. It was funny. like must-see must TV. I, I couldn't put it I down. I know, I know. But it is also amazing that that's so difficult for people to watch. Now, I knew it was difficult for me to do. Really, my heart was racing I was literally shaking. My hands were shaking. I started and stopped a couple times, but I I purposely did it right before I had to leave for my appointment. So yeah, I didn't have smart. much time. I was like, yeah. if I'm going to do this, this is it. And I want to do it. So don't mess around. Just do it. So I really did start or stop maybe once or twice, but then I just went for it. And I just, in one swoop, just chopped off seven inches oh, of my hair. My and yeah. I didn't ask you, what did your hairdresser say when you walked in? Just like, were you like holding your hair, by the way? I hope you were. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't. I left it at home. Damn. Okay. The, the funny thing is, I did a pretty good job. Uh, she didn't even say anything. She just thought, I, I don't know, if that I had, I, she doesn't remember me. She doesn't see me that often. Like, it's oh, not like you didn't tell her that nope, you just took I scissors to your hair? I did not. I couldn't. I actually <gasps> wow. could I thought about it and I couldn't get the words out. I thought it would sound crazy. (laughs) Well, okay. Yeah. 
because it was just a big blob at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's like, okay, let's do some shape. Let's do some. She knew exactly what to do. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. But I didn't tell her it was like this because I feel like she would have been like Anthony. She would have been yeah. like, if you want to change your life, change your life. It's not going to happen here in my chair. I'm just going right. to make your hair look nice. Yeah, exactly. And But on further reflection now, I realized, and, and a friend of mine texted me after she saw the Instagram stories she said, you know what they say about a woman? Uh, a woman who has changed her hair is about to change her life. Oh. And which I have found true. Back when I first got on Facebook like 10 years ago, I had had an entire album dedicated to all of my different hairstyles. And you could, I could probably track all of those crazy hairstyles with big changes in my life. Graduating. Oh, wow. oh yeah. Graduating college, a big breakup, a new job. I mean, I really did always track that. I if if change was yeah, if change was coming, my hair had to sort of suit it. And the funny thing is, this time, I guess I'm a little older, a little wiser. I knew change was coming months ago when I wanted to chop it off, but I didn't know what the change was that was coming. And I think it was smart of me to hold off because. You know, it was at that time that I was like, Kate, we need to start this podcast. Yeah. And I wonder, I do wonder if I had gotten the haircut, if I would have not done the podcast or the podcast would have been delayed or because I would have been satisfied that something in my life had 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 a dramatic change instead of really looking at what I did want to change and what I was not happy with. And then I made the change and the hair followed. Okay, this is very interesting. Right? It also makes me feel really... Like I'm missing out because I have curly hair and really can't fundamentally change my hair. I know yes. you're going to tell no, me you I can't. could, but no, I you really can't. can't. No, you can't. No, I agree. You know? And no. so then I'm like missing out on this. Well, you just, no, Kate, you just have to find your thing. My thing is hair. Not yeah, everybody's thing is hair. Even if you, everybody has a thing. The thing that they think represents or tracks changes in their lives. And yeah. I, oh. I mean, I don't know. Some people. What are some other examples? Uh, I was going to say alcohol is one. Not, I was not putting that to you, but it's, we just finished dry. <laughs> ja- no, we just finished dry January. Yes, and the I fact that, do that people do that ba- boggles my mind. I'm like, I why? do it every year. Yes. You know I do lots of year. people do. Yes. It's um, a thing. But. But, you know, one of the partners I used to work for at, at Kelly Dry did it every year. He was the first person I had ever heard it from, like, long ago. This year I read an article that the new thing was veganary, which, okay. by the way, I became you also, vegan for Jan- So I, I just follow every BS yeah. trend, apparently. Okay, because- but Kate, that's what you need to be watching because when you feel like you need to make a change in your diet or your alcohol consumption, I do think that it's a... It's a sign that something in your life is not working and therefore you think it needs to change. Those are the things to notice. To me, the hair just became now I could see there was a pattern of this really throughout my life. I remember the very first time I chopped all my hair off to my mom's horror. It was the summer between fifth, fifth and sixth grade. And I think it was that you know, puberty was coming and Uh I just knew that there were changes and I wanted to to have the outside reflect the inside. Whereas this time I let the inside lead the outside. That's good. That's good. Yeah. But either way, I think if you're willing to look at it, I think it doesn't really matter what order it comes in. It's just looking at it and seeing what what does this mean in a bigger sense. It's also just my hair. I really do like my short hair now. It looks amazing. Thank you. It looks amazing. Thank you. And it really (laughs) is that simple. 
but you can also it can be a vehicle to look a little deeper too right hence why fleabag had a whole scene on it that clearly spoke to us love it love it phoebe waller bridge oh her brain please i just want to get inside there just a little bit yes oh man i know Okay, Britt Marling wrote a New York Times op-ed piece about, I don't want to be the strong female lead, right? That was great the title. title. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I was a great title, but also uh, pretty incendiary, right? I yes, think people, that's why it's a great title. Though, right, right, I guess. I've, See, now I call that clickbait. I don't love, mm. I don't love that. I, I like a little bit more of an introspective title, but... I don't sell newspapers or whatever that <laughs> whatever they do there. So um, I, I defer to them. But it was Britt Marling's teaser that really drew me in. Yeah, I was just going to say, but there was a teaser underneath yes, that. Yes, that think told a little bit more. And it told a different story than, than something that that title might have otherwise. Should I just say, though, does everybody know who Britt no, Marling so I, is? Yeah, I, was, oh, you're- I did have a little prep for this because oh, I, good. I've learned from you that I need to do this more. I am like jump right in kind of person. Because you I probably, do. I did not know who Britt Marling is. So, so I will be why. honest, I didn't. Oh, and okay. I, I did not. Did. And sadly, because yeah. I'm now a huge fan. But so Britt Marling is an actress, producer, and screenwriter. She rose to prominence as a sci-fi and Sundance darling after mm-hmm. 2011's two movies, Sound of My Voice and Another Earth. And then 2013, back again with The East, which she co-wrote and in addition to playing the lead role. Then in 2016 to 2019, she co-created, co-wrote, and starred in two seasons of the Netflix series The OA. Mm. So, no, I was not familiar with her. But let me tell you, I went down a Brit Marling-shaped yeah. rabbit hole after that essay. Mm-hmm. I listened to hours of podcast interviews. Did I, you? I, hours, hours. <gasps> I watched. I only read a few articles, but oh, wow. Okay. I watched the first season of the OA. <laughs> oh, I was. I was going to yes. say, had you had you seen it before? Apparently, not, I had okay. not. I am not a sci-fi person. Which me neither. Amazingly, neither is Britt Marling. Yeah. And I'll talk a little bit about that too, but um, I was the the essay really drew me in. But it wasn't it was a complicated picture, and I think mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. But I she has a lot of similarities to us, Kate. Right? Yeah. D- yes, she please, does. Please tell me you looked up her sign. Of course, she is a Leo. Yes. And yes. she went to Georgetown. I mean, yeah, we went to Jesuit. Boston College, yes. but, you know, similar. Both. And she clearly, so fire signs, they are dominated by a masculine energy. Now, listen, I'm going to use the words masculine and feminine mm-hmm. a lot. They are not the same as gender. It is not Correct. the same as male and female. And so a lot of times she's talking about both. I am typically talking about the energetic masculine mm-hmm. or, or or qualities of masculine and qualities of feminine. Now, all fire signs, whether you're a man or a woman, all fire signs are ruled by a masculine energy. Actually, all fire signs and air signs and all water signs and earth signs are feminine energy. Mm-hmm. So, so she also was drawn to that masculine world working. We know she was working yeah. in an investment banking at Goldman Sachs, right? Yeah. And that was probably driven by something her mother had said to her when she was little. And Kate and I, you and I both have similar stories, I think, Mm -hmm. in our past. Her mother said to her, to be a free woman, you have to be financially independent woman. Mm -hmm. 
And, and then, that came from my father over and over and over again. Like yeah. drilled that into me. Yeah, yeah. And for me, it was my grandmother. Um, oh, right. And it was also my family dynamics. Just in my family, it was the women who were the leaders, the the ones who were more free. It really came from my grandmother who did, like your father, really drill it into me over and over and over. Um, mm-hmm. Not subtly. So... Britt got that same message and so she studied economics in college and she went to New York to become an investment banker and she says to be blunt I wanted the freedom that money can buy. She had a sudden change of heart when she was working at Goldman as a summer analyst and then two of her friends came in from LA and they spent all weekend shooting a movie together and she talks in this podcast I listened to she talked about how she hadn't slept all week because she was working at Goldman really killing herself on the work and then she hadn't slept all weekend because she was doing this movie Mm -hmm. and she said how very different those two types of exhaustion Uh. and being spent felt Mm -hmm. and she says this is in a different article this is not in the New York Times I'm sort of filling in the gaps a little bit I decided that if the world required me to sell the hours of my life in exchange Mm -hmm. for access to what long ago had been free food water shelter I wanted to at least be doing something that stirred my soul. Yeah, I read that too. That's amazing. Yes. So, and I have noticed the same thing when doing the work, the the more masculine work, I guess, because it's confusing because the way I approach work is a masculine sort of point of view, energy, very driven, very ambitious, very linear, like got to get it, make it to the top kind of thing. Yes. And I approach everything I do that way. So that will never go away. But when I, the, the sort of masculine work of, of being a lawyer and in finance for me crushed my soul. Whereas even when I'm still bringing my own masculine energy to the creative work, which is storytelling, writing, doing Mm -hmm. this podcast, it is so much more fulfilling to me. Right. So I, I get that. So then Britt said when she became immersed in acting and filmmaking and storytelling, she liked the person that she became. Yeah, yeah I love that. Right? I loved that. I read that too. And that's, that happens. That, yes. that really does. Yes. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm A, more aware of the person I am. And I like the person who I continue to become when I'm doing those things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. She says specifically that she listened more acutely. I was more empathetic and imaginative. These are qualities that seem to be, to me, to be culturally on the decline. Our culture likes forward-thinking talkers who can turn a profit without feeling too much about who may suffer the consequences, usually poor people, people of color, and women. Acting felt like a noble pursuit and maybe even a small act of resistance. Yeah. But she didn't realize, though, again, like I'm talking (laughs) about this idea that everything can be masculine and feminine. So storytelling might be a feminine pursuit, creativity, different side of the brain. But Hollywood was still an an industry dominated by straight white men. Right, Right. And she said the stories themselves were narratives I didn't always politically or morally agree with then the only way for me to navigate Hollywood with more agency was to become a storyteller myself yes this that is to say that is an easy thing to say and a very hard thing to do I stopped auditioning I worked a day job and spent nights and weekends at the public library downtown reading screenwriting books I did this for years 
Mm-hmm. And she did that before she, she broke out. And she talks about how she doesn't like sci-fi, but that sci-fi is a useful tool when the world that you're working in, which is to say like America or LA or Hollywood, didn't represent her. Sci-fi is just a way to wipe the slate clean, right? Yeah, which I thought was so interesting. I did too. Yeah, that she couldn't write what she wanted to write in the normal world because she felt so confined. Yes. But you, in sci-fi, you can just make it whatever you want it to be. Yes. was a really cool way of looking at it, I thought. I thought so too. And I was really fascinated that she was not at all interested in sci-fi before and that this was just the way her ideas worked best, which is kind of fascinating. She didn't, not only was she not interested, she said even after she wrote OA, I think, or that someone, that they'd ask her this in interviews and she'd just like, why are you so interested in sci-fi? And she'd give like a flippant answer. Right. And that finally she like really thought about it and... And so it even took her a while, to, even after she'd already created something yes. in sci-fi, for her to realize why it was she was drawn to that. Like, she didn't even really know. Yeah, yeah, no. I, so yeah. cool. Isn't it? I know. Yeah. So what do we think about her New York Times piece, though? Which was, with the backstory, I feel like I understood it a little more, but I wasn't sure. There were some things I agreed with and some things I didn't, which I think you had a similar reaction. Yes, I I did. I thought there were some really, really good points about how the strong female lead is being portrayed, you know, and that it's, she said, you know, what we really mean when we say we want a strong female lead is give me a man, but in the body of a woman, I still want to see naked. Yes, Which, I thought that was, was like, a brilliant line. Yes, it's true. And that it's still the strong female lead is still, at least mostly in these films and TV shows and whatever, showing the the, the masculine characteristics, right? Like right. physical prowess, ambition, Yes, you know, yes. and I thought that made a lot of sense. And she said, you know, when but she... I was automatically thinking of like Angelina Jolie as yes. Lara, Lara Croft, right? Croft. Tomb Raider. Right. Yes. That is truly a masculine figure, masculine journey, masculine traits, and then just in a woman's body. Right. Exactly. And and that that people applaud that, but then she started thinking, I don't, I don't really like that either. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that's not that's still sort of killing the feminine. Right. 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 Just being the woman, it wasn't really harnessing anything feminine right yes I agreed with that too but I wasn't sure where she was going with it and then I watched the OA which I think gives uh, no spoilers but I think it gives more of an idea of what she was actually talking about because the OA is the story of this one woman Prairie uh, played by Britt Marling but in this journey her way out her way to salvation the way to achieving her goals it can only be reached by a group of people working together. Mm-hmm. So that is a very feminine idea. Masculine is singular, and then the feminine is about connection. It's about yeah, community, community, group, right? I don't know. I, I am more interested in a more proper hero's journey, but I do think you can balance those traits yes. still, right? Yes, Because yes. Fleabag and Claire are 
the examples of this, right? Yes. They break their isolation, their cold and empty hearts, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. by connecting with one person not society or community it's really it's about them connecting with one person and sort of breaking out of that so I still think I'm drawn to that idea becoming a little less if that's the masculine role that they're in becoming a little bit less becoming a little bit more connected but I don't know that I can see it the way she does yeah I think it was a little extreme yeah yeah yeah. Meaning, because she really concludes at the end that you can't do this within the hero's journey. That the hero's right. journey itself is is really just a man's a male a male orgasm is yes. what she equates yes, it to. Yes, I know. And I don't know. By about the way, I, her description of a male orgasm really fit with mine. So I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what's yeah. going on here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I yeah. So I just thought, well, that's like she's basically like you you. I don't know that if to blow it all up. Um, right. I think that there's a way to find the balance. I mean, I, when she said it's difficult for us to imagine femininity itself, empathy, vulnerability, listening as strong. Right. I do think that that's been missing in in things that we watch and read. I get that, but but I don't I don't know that that's true either. I mean, I I, I think I've we've seen characters who exhibit those traits and they're still strong. Like I, again, I think maybe it was just really a little too extreme. Well, I think that's what she's saying though, because you just said they exhibit those traits and they're still strong. But I think she's saying that's what makes them strong. Right. Right. That they are vulnerable and that they are, you know, good listeners and empathetic or whatever it is. So right. I don't know. It's really, it's very complicated. And I, but I do think Fleabag is such a great example of both, right? S- masculine traits and feminine traits. And her journey is one from purely masculine to more feminine. And that's right. what I'm most, in- that's personally what I'm most interested in. These women who start off in a position of being really one way closed off, isolated, just happy with what what's going on with their lives and then they open up and they they mm-hmm. find some more connection and I wrote it on Instagram and I don't know if Brit would approve but I said I write women who present as masculine but dominate only when they harness the power of the feminine I and love that. I love that too but I don't know I just my use of the word dominate right I spent a lot of time in my masculine self and I was very very comfortable there I spend a lot of time there too. Yes, I, I think as fire signs that we do, we yeah, would anyway. But and I was very but, comfortable, and then I wasn't, and then I sort of went in the opposite direction, which I think was essentially drowning myself in the feminine, like studying and teaching yoga, staying home with my kids for two years, which was all mm-hmm. good for me, but really ultimately never felt like me. I feel like I needed to be there to get those things but I'm always going to be who I am and yes. and a lot of just who I am personality wise is are are I have traits that people say are quote unquote like a man mm-hmm. interestingly yeah. it was after my daughter was born that I felt that masculine energy coming back to me like that oh. yes that and now I feel like I'm much more balanced and that's where I feel like I found a masculine voice in a creative a feminine work which was starting to write and starting to think about storytelling and I feel like that's a really great balance for me 
Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I'm with you that I would like to get more to the balance. And in this article, I didn't hear her saying that. So you're right. Maybe she wouldn't agree with right. with that. Um, right. Because I do, I don't know how, I mean, I, I do live in the masculine so mm-hmm. much internally yeah. and externally. Yes. And, and yes. I'm very comfortable there. Yes. But, but I do, I do still think even in that I... can be empathetic or you know I don't I don't like she says when she was at Goldman she tried to basically you know bury her feminine yeah in order to survive I don't feel like that at a law firm I really don't maybe Wall Street could very well I'm sure it is a a little different but it is but I, I and and there are there are male colleagues of mine who really do fit that mold but I don't feel as if I can't be empathetic or be the one that really like listens or brings out more feelings. I do that. I really yeah. do. Yeah. I don't feel like I have to totally bury that part of me, but, right. but I do like you feel like the goal really is some kind of balance. Yes. And you know, just for people who may not be familiar with these ideas, the masculine and feminine, again, I've said it has nothing to do with gender, which it doesn't in the way we're using it, but it also doesn't even... I mean, astrologically, you can be governed by a planet that's masculine or feminine. Nothing to do with gender. It's also styles of influence. Do you tend to dominate or are you trying to be persuasive? Dominance is the masculine. Persuasion is the feminine. It's also styles of communication. It's also Mm -hmm. often associated with your identity. Are you a doer or are you a beer, right? Do you do you focus on doing or do you focus on being who you are as your identity? Oh, um, I'm a human doer. Yeah, me too. Human doer <laughs> right here. Very yes. masculine. The being yes. is a feminine thing. By the way, mm-hmm. my husband, Ian, a man, very much a man, mm-hmm. is a it, he is that feminine though being. He focuses on being and not doing. And he's still successful in all these things, but that is just a core part of his identity. Mm -hmm. Uh, He could never change. By the way, this is in Chinese philosophy, Tantra. Chinese is yin and yang. Tantra is Shiva Shakti, Ayurveda. This is is really across, I'm talking about- It's not just astrology. (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly. And I'm talking about a lot of different terms here, but also it said that the pursuit of the of meaning in life is a masculine thing, whereas the pursuit of pleasure, pleasure meaning relationships, pure and unalloyed relationships, that's feminine. Also, your style, are you competitive? How you work with others, are you competitive mm-hmm. or are you cooperative? Mm-hmm. Masculine <laughs> is competitive, right? Female is cooperative. A lot of mine are masculine. Failure is devastating is a masculine trait. Failure is a setback is a feminine idea. Do you take facts literally or do you, that's a masculine. If you take facts and give them symbolic interpretation, that's feminine. Do you start with the bottom line? That's masculine. Start with the big picture. That's feminine. I am across the board a lot of different. I am. Yes, a mix. Yes, a mix. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more masculine. But so it's not just one thing. Yeah. And I think her bottom line, though, that I think we do agree with is that she's just hoping that there'll be more stories. Yes, like we do. Exactly. That, that show the complexity that don't just put women as the strong female leader, the girlfriend or the one, you know, all of that. But really what I take from that is just what we've been saying, which yeah. is just we want to see, you know, different representations of 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 in characters, period. Like, right. You know, so right. I, I think that's what she was ultimately getting at. But I do too. Okay, good. 
All right, Kate, Natalie Portman versus Rose McGowan, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, I know. And I wasn't really interested when this first came out, but Natalie's response, which you forwarded to me, has really made this something worth talking about, I think. So so what started it was uh, Natalie Portman, who attended the Oscars uh, recently in an address embroidered with the names of female filmmakers that were overlooked in this year's awards nomination. So you had like Greta and Alma Harrell and all their names, if you guys haven't seen it, just sort of very discreetly. Um, she was wearing like a black cape and they were embroidered in gold sort of down the side. You really would have to zoom in yeah to, they to really know. It's not, they really this is not like it was graffiti it. no not no. like when we talked oh, about yes. uh, jennifer, jennifer nettles yes. the country music singer when she called out for equal play and everything at, right at the country music CMAs, Award. that yeah. was literally graffiti <laughs> on the back of her dress this yeah. was much more subtle but she got you know the usual questions on the red carpet and it gave her a chance to explain and she just said you know i wanted to recognize the women who were not recognized for their incredible work this year in my subtle way. So that was it. You know, it, it got some press, yes, of course, did. because because all of these issues of the snubs of the female directors had gotten a lot of press. So that was fine. But like like you, I thought that was interesting. You know, nice, yeah. but yeah. wasn't that wasn't that intrigued. And then Rose McGowan uh, really went after her, really called out Natalie Portman and said, you know, that this type of activism, she said, is deeply offensive to those of us who actually do the work. She said, I'm not writing this out of bitterness. I'm writing out of disgust. Mm. I just want her and other actresses to walk the walk. And she then, she really called her out directly. She said, right. Natalie, Natalie, comma, you have worked with two female directors in your very long career. One of them was you. You have a production company that has hired exactly one female director, you. And yeah. she said, I'm singling you out because you're the latest in a long line of actresses who are acting the part of a woman who cares about other women. Actresses who supposedly stand for women, but in reality do not do much at all. Yeah. Damn. That was, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Natalie Portman has had a very long career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And- to that those numbers really yeah yeah I was like whoa and and I really was dying to know what Natalie was gonna say to this yes and Natalie did respond and I I will say that I thought it was very classy I mean she is you know I didn't expect anything different from her but she she said I agree with Ms. McGowan that it is inaccurate to call me brave for wearing a garment with women's names on it Brave is a term I more strongly associate with actions like those of the women who have been testifying against Harvey Weinstein for the last few weeks under incredible pressure. And by the way, that I think was a little bit of a reciprocal call out. Yeah, because McGowan isn't testifying and taking the stand against Weinstein because she took a cash settlement from him Mm -hmm. years ago in relation to her alleged sexual assault case. So and I get it, you know, Anyone who had taken the settlement now can't testify against him. So that was, I don't, maybe a not so subtle. No, I thought it was, yes, 
oh, at yes. her, yes. right? Yes. So she then said, the past few years have been, I've seen a blossoming of directing opportunities for women due to the collective efforts of many people who have been calling out the system. The gift has been these incredible films. I hope that what was intended as a simple nod to them does not distract from their great achievements, which is true. She's like, doesn't want right. to give them any bad press. Right. And then she does directly respond to her criticisms of her. She says, it is true. I've only made a few films with women. In my long career, I've only gotten the chance to work with female directors a few times. I've made shorts, commercials, music videos, and features with, and then she named a, a lot of female directors, including herself. But then she says, unfortunately, the unmade films I've tried to make are a ghost history. Right. As Stacy Smith of USC has well documented, female films have been incredibly hard to get made at studios or to get independently financed. If these films do get made, women face enormous challenges during the making of them. I have had the experience a few times of helping get female directors hired on projects which they were then forced out of because of the conditions they faced at work. Mm -hmm. After they are made, female-directed films face difficulty getting into festivals, getting distribution, and getting accolades because of the gatekeepers at every level. Mm. And she ends with this. She says, so I want to say I have tried and I will keep trying. While I have not yet been successful, I'm hopeful that we are stepping into a new day. The, I thought that was very classy. So good. Very classy. Very good. But and also really made me it made me think twice about how being so critical on another episode where we were talking about bombshell or the bad moms or the beauty industry one. But maybe it's not so easy to get women involved, right? Maybe it's no. not you know, the movie's greenlit, you're the actress hired to play the part. And you have to hope that your perspective is enough to say, I, I believe in this role and I'm going right. to play it as the woman I would expect to play it as, not just maybe necessarily what's written there or exactly the way it's directed, but maybe put your own kind of bit on it because that's why they cast you is for what you'll bring to the table. But demanding that there be a co-director or a co-writer, I don't know, maybe it's even for the really... I know we had picked movies that we thought there was real star power and they had right. real negotiating power, but maybe it's not. If no, Natalie Portman's pretty much saying I'm powerless. Yeah, then it, it's it's true. Yeah. I, I could see that. I mean, and 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 we talked about and also in another episode about the snubs that yep. she's referring to here of yep. female directors. But I did note on there that there there aren't that many yes so right just n sheer numbers wise mm -hmm. like i and i forget them but it was something like only like i don't know it's less than 10 percent of, yes. of, of directors are female i mean to, yes. to insist there be for example a female director well there aren't that many out there right and yeah. and these these uh film companies they, they do need to make money they need you know so mm. they can't just there's a few that you know like a Greta Gerwig or whatever that clearly are probably pretty bankable but I yeah. don't know speaking of which like Elizabeth Banks right yeah she just tried to do Charlie's Angels yeah. and completely tanked yes um, yes so that's why I think actually that like that's why so many women I think are just trying to write or create their own stories so that yeah. they like a Reese Witherspoon, so yes. that they can then, they create their own vehicles in which to bring these things forward. But you're right, if you're just an actress who gets offered what maybe is an amazing role, right? 
are you going to go, well, but I'm not going to do it because unless you get a female director yeah. or a female producer, yeah. I mean, maybe that is a little bit of a pipe dream. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would hope they would use their leverage and they could band together, especially those, those two those two movies that we had been talking about were, there were several women in it and several yeah. women with some, right. some power um, and banding together. But it Hollywood is a machine and mm-hmm. an industry that is certainly behind the times right and yeah yeah so I don't know I do I do as Natalie Portman said she'll keep trying and but um and listen I think Rose McGowan should keep calling people out too like I have no problem with that I mean I think maybe she picked the wrong person here with Natalie right I I do but yeah but I do think there's some value in what she does too right because so many celebrities do I think sometimes just get on these like bandwagons yeah make these statements and then do nothing yeah I don't think Natalie's one of them so like I said I think it was probably the wrong person to pick on but yes you know she's she is incendiary and we need that too yes no so I, I think I yeah. agree calling it out uh and calling what you what you see I yeah I'm always for that I'm always for yeah. that and it would and then be we get sh- that great response too. yes right? I know so. even better exactly oh, okay all right I want just a couple minutes on Jessica Simpson it's pretty shocking okay so I picked up Jessica Simpson's book from the library. It's called Open Book. The first thing I noticed is it's pretty big. <laughs> I mean, it's a hefty book. Really? Like, what is this? Yes. It's over 400 pages. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know she had that much to say. <laughs> I don't know that I did either. And by the way, I had this book on hold at the library because I'm a library aficionado. I like work that system <laughs> like it is... <laughs> Like I'm um, Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems. So I put this book on hold a long time ago because that's what you have to do to get it anywhere near the release date when it's a popular book. And as the press started, I was really not interested in this book. I did not like anything that was coming out. I was not, I I was like, okay, so she drank a bunch. And I was like, this is going to be boring. All I cared about was the dirt on her and Nick Lachey. Uh, Me too. And that's the only articles I've read. (laughs) Me too. Uh, So I actually haven't read any of them. I just was looking at headlines. And I'm like, ugh, really? I don't care about this. So I have to say I picked this book up only because I had other holds. And I was like, eh, I don't even know if I'm going to read it. I flipped open, as I tend to do as a writer. I go often straight to the acknowledgments. First of all, her Mm -hmm. acknowledgments are like 10 pages long. (laughs) Wow. And she talks about her son being a fellow cancer she is a cancer mm-hmm. um which i was like okay i like i like that she's already got astrology she's in here. referencing astrology she All talks right. about her husband as her sexual sha- shaman and i'm like that's interesting what? yes wait oh, what's a shaman please is this uh, like a helper like guide a guide kind of, yes a guide. okay yes uh, one who knows better though so like a mentor but not that's not the right word either right but, so that also intrigued me by the way i'm also obsessed i wanted more on john oh, mayer I on loved, that backstory yes, that story God. exactly but again i wasn't that interested in the press that was coming out but I, I opened to the acknowledgments. I was intrigued. I'm like, this is, looks like a complicated, this is not one thing, right? This is not mm-hmm. maybe what I expected it to be, which is funny because she addresses this right away in the book. She says that this was supposed to be a very different book. Five years ago, I was, supposed, I was approached to write a motivational manual telling you how to live your best life. 
you know, the her oh. Jessica Simpson collection was top yeah. selling celebrity fashion line. She was the first it was the first to earn up one billion dollars in sales. She delivered a keynote at the Forbes Power Women Summit and Women's Wear Daily. So she was supposed to talk about how to kind of be a boss, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her, her clothing, her shoes. And yeah, her entrepreneurial efforts have been wildly successful. Yes. Although uninteresting to me. So I would yeah, not have picked too. that Yeah, me too. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. But she, the deal was set and it was a lot of money and I walked away. Nobody understood why. So she's then sort of saying why she has to read, write oh. this book, right? And something that really stood out to me that I, I blew me away, first of all, because I relate and also just because it was interesting. She says, up until a few years ago, I had been a feelings addict. Love, oh. loss, whichever, whatever, as long as it was epic. I just needed enough noise to distract me from the pain I had been avoiding. Ooh. Yeah. And then she talks specifically about how she picked partners. Those same demons who perched on my shoulder, when they saw a man as dark as them, they leaned in to my ear to whisper, just give him all your light. See if it saves him. I what? know. She wrote this? Did she have well, like a ghostwriter? She did have a ghostwriter. And I shouldn't say that because I don't know why I've prejudged her to think that those words couldn't have been written by her. Right. I shouldn't say that, but I still can't get over the chicken of the sea. Right. Tuna. I know. It's really too. She... I used to watch a little bit of Newlyweds. And oh, I watched really, all of it. <laughs> really does not give you like the great. And I understand she was like the Lucille Ball and she's funny. She was but... also much younger. She was very young and, yes. and and put in this fishbowl with her young marriage. The whole thing was a disaster. But yeah. But so then, anyway, so, so then, I shouldn't judge that. Yeah, but but we all have and we all do. And she even yeah. says that she she even says she's very like, self aware. I think she is. She is. I think she works really hard at it. By the way, it's mm-hmm. not it's not doesn't come natural to her. She's been in therapy twice a, a week. She's been really digging deep for this for this book mm-hmm. and also for just for herself really. Right. So that's impressive, I think. That's um, unexpected and impressive. And the first chapter is, which I really stayed up way too late. I started it late and I was like, oh, I'll read a page or two. It will bore me to death and I'll fall asleep. Oh, no. It was the opposite. I I love that. I know. I was riveted and I couldn't put it down. So the book opens, you know, first she kind of explains why she's doing it and what she could have done instead. And and then she kind of leaps right into her rock bottom and it was Halloween 2017 she's throwing this huge party and she talks she's it's seven in the morning and she's drinking and yeah and she goes to see her daughter in a performance at her school she's been drinking she comes home she's been drinking she talks about how much she used Ambien I mean she's popping a lot here and the day she blacks out for the Halloween party isn't there at all next day her friends kind of she is on board but her friends really are like okay we need to do an intervention like this is not this is not working for you it's not working for any of us and but she's also this is what's amazing about the book and what you couldn't get anywhere else really so she is having this intervention and she wants help too so she's having these real this breakdown, but she's <laughs> she's also mm-hmm. it's it's she's got this big party situation, and so she's literally has two hairdressers 
flown in from LA <laughs> who were already planning to be there. And then she has her colorist flown in from Brooklyn. Not kidding you. Her colorist from Brooklyn and two hairdressers from LA who are going to do her extensions. And then she's got her best friend, Casey Cobb. Of course. And a couple of other friends and these hairdressers. And she's crying. Tears are pouring from her eyes. And she's like, am I really going to do all of this in front of all of these people? It should have just been her and Casey was what she was really saying. But this was the time and she wasn't going to let it go. And Casey's like, look, I've been ready to talk to you about this for a long time. I have the number of a doctor. Let's call them right now. A therapist. Let's call them right Uh now. So she does. She she literally has foil in her hair. Her friend's praying over her. Casey's like grabbing (laughs) her. She's bawling. One person's doing her extensions. Another person's uh, doing her color. And then she's on the phone with a doctor and she starts in with a complete play-by-play of all my life's traumas. And she's saying them all one by one. Matter of fact, like she was abused, (laughs) suffered in childhood, her weight issues, obsessive relationships Mm -hmm. that she clung to in adulthood. And she's like, so this is why I need help and why I can't do this on my own. She says, I pause to breathe. The doctor said, wow. (laughs) (laughs) My eyebrows shot up. Was it that bad? But then the therapist said something great. First of all, she continued, People don't know themselves that well. And the fact that you don't know me and you're telling me all of this on the phone tells me that you're desperate. And it was just like, wow, like this is going to get real. real. Oh, yeah. I mean, the first thing I read was on page five and this is on page 30. It says this is. This is where this she's is, starting. Yeah. 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 This she go, She's going to go deep. I know. Mm-hmm. So I am excited. I'm going to keep reading it. I will probably check in again. But I wow. was just shocked I, right off the bat. Totally yeah. unexpected. And when you told me you were reading this, I was shocked, period. Right. Because I, I had the same views as you. I'm like, she is not reading the Jessica Simpson memoir. Like, <laughs> I just didn't. I, I just didn't. I did not think. No. And again, like, I've read a few articles, but I thought maybe it would just be more salacious. Juicy. Right. Yeah. Salacious, juicy. Which is yes. fine, too. Yes. Hey, I've got no problem with that. But I mean, ultimately, that's why I picked it up. And she's got a whole table of contents. I'm like, I'm just going to jump to the John Mayer stuff. And right. I didn't. I started just reading, you know, the first couple pages and it was so unexpected. Um, and I just have been following her on Instagram. So the the outfits, you know, that I she's don't, been wearing. I don't follow it, her. Yeah. Oh, my God. No. So most of it has just been about what she's wearing at okay. every... Right. She's made a big thing of this. Like, right. here are my book tour outfits. Oh. So it's very Elle Woods. You know right. what I mean? Like, yes. you're just thinking... <laughs> and she's got these pink fur on. So I love it. It is, it is, it is hard to take her seriously. And I, like I said to you, I maybe I have prejudged her. Yeah, well, but listen, I mean, this is... This is some deep stuff already. Yeah, so you can you can look like that yes. and still have deep thoughts, Kate. Come right, on. Right, right. Complicated and, but I, woman. And also, she's not pretending to write this like dark literary tell-all, no, exactly. right? She's yeah. really she's like, look at me. She's setting the scene. Look at me. I am literally have two hairdressers from LA, one from Brooklyn. I have foil in my hair, mascara on my face, like and here I am still getting glammed up but about to tell like all my deepest darkest secrets right it's yeah and we love that kind of conflict that inner outer conflict that you're 
unexpected and surprising. She you're, is. You're, you're superficial mm-hmm. and vapid, but also going deep. And mm-hmm. I love it. Love yeah, it. I mean, this is, is quintessential pop fiction women. Yes, yes. Yes. Who yes. knew? Well, I'll be excited to see. Yes. If you check back in. I will. I will. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you loved this episode, please leave a review. And if you hated it, email us. We want to hash it out. Love us or hate us, don't forget to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. And keep it complicated.